This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for him? Jesus 
I'm so glad they sang that song today, and I'm so glad we sang the the songs that we did um, during the worship band's uh, leading of our music together, um, because that, that dovetails so nicely into what I believe God wants me to share with you today. Um, just God watching us and, and caring for us, and just His unshakable, almighty, eternal. In essential godness, does that make sense? Like his power is unlimited, and and this this works so nicely into what we're going to be talking about for the rest of our time here together. Um, if you've got your Bible, open it to John chapter four, and we're going to get there in just a minute. But before we get there, um, that's John chapter four. Before we get there, have you ever? taken a risk on something that you didn't fully understand, but you decided it was worth the risk anyway, so you did it. Um, You didn't fully understand how it worked, but you did it anyway, because you decided the risk was worth it. Um, One example of this, have you ever read terms and conditions all the way through on like a website or in software or on your smartphone? Like it says, here's our new terms and conditions, agree to these to continue, and I guarantee you, if you've ever used a smartphone or a computer, you've had to agree to these without fully understanding them. Unless you have, one, a degree in electrical engineering, and two, have passed the bar in the state of Missouri, um, you do not understand all those terms and conditions. Um, I used to try to read them, and I'd get into them and realize, I have no idea what this is talking about. And so now, I mean, there are some watchdog kind of groups that you can look up. Like, you can Google several websites that check out terms and conditions. And sometimes these guys, like, and they actually have some lawyers that volunteer for them, and, and they read these things and figure out what's wrong with them. And um, occasionally there will be a big flap about it. Like Instagram, when, when Instagram first started, um, those of you who don't know, it's an app on your phone, and you can take pictures and share them with your friends. And, you know, you don't necessarily share them with the world unless you want to, but just your friends can see your, your cool pictures. It started out as a way to share kind of artistic pictures, and then it kind of devolved into cat pictures like the rest of the Internet. But um, the but Instagram, right when it first started, Instagram was uh, blowing up, hugely popular. And then uh, this thing came out that their terms and conditions were uh, basically made it so that when you posted your picture to Instagram, they owned it. You no longer owned it. They could use it in advertisements. They could... Uh, sell it as a stock picture to be used on something else. Like, they owned your photos. And so um, people just, whoa, everybody backed up, and they lost a lot of users just overnight. And uh, so they immediately put out an apology, changed their terms and conditions, and, you know, now you can feel fairly safe. You can use Instagram, and you still own your own the rights to your photos. Um, they, uh, and, you know, they have really good, I, I use Instagram. I think it's safe. They use, they have good privacy controls where um, you your photos are not seen by the world unless you just want them to be. You can just only let the people um, see them that you approve. You know, so um, we do that way. We we say okay, you have to be approved to see our pictures because we don't want creeps out there looking at the pictures of our kids. You know, so um, but it's a pretty good deal now. They've fixed their terms and conditions. But I had no chance of figuring that out on my own. Like. These lawyers that read through this and figured it out were the ones that warned me about that. I had to just basically trust that those lawyers know what they're talking about. You know, there are there are many situations in life where we decide 
we don't understand something, but we have, we're going to go ahead and trust it anyway because the risk is worth it. An obvious example, have you ever driven a car without understanding exactly how every single part of the car works? Some of you guys here are very mechanical. I believe there may be some guys here that know exactly how every single part of the car works. Maybe that's true of you. But for most of us, we drive a car without understanding everything about it. I understand a good portion of it. You know, I know, I know the principles involved in a lot of it, but I don't understand everything about it. Do you understand how electronic fuel injection works? Or before that, how a carburetor works? Um, maybe you do, but chances are you don't. And the thing is, it's a, a car, for a car to be well designed, it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be that you're, you are able to operate that car without fully understanding everything about the innards of that car and how it works. Um, good technology is supposed to work that way. Have you ever used an iPad? I mean, if you pick up an iPad, uh, you're supposed to be able to just start tapping things on the screen and kind of figure it out as you go. iPads are good technology because you don't have to understand how they work before you start using them. Um, and I guarantee you, some of you, I, I was willing to admit that some of you might understand exactly how everything in your car works. But I guarantee you that there is no one in this room who knows exactly everything about how an iPad works on the inside. That's how it's supposed to be. It's good technology because it's built that way. I know kind of how an iPad works, but I read something about this this week and it started to blow my mind, so I quit reading it because I don't know exactly how the physics of flash memory works. I don't know how to avoid harmonic frequency conflicts between the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, NFC, GPS, and cellular data chips that are inside that iPad. There's, there's like these harmonic frequencies of radio waves that can conflict inside the iPad, and you have to know all about how that works to make sure that it doesn't have conflicts inside the iPad. I guarantee you there's no one in this room that knows how to do that. But you can use an iPad and it works, right? It's good technology because you're supposed to be able to take a risk that not understanding how it works, you can still use one successfully. If, it, if you had to understand how all of it worked on the inside, there might be a thousand people in the, United, in the entire United States that would be able to use an iPad. It's good technology because you don't have to understand how it works, right? Now, there are many things in life that are like that. You're supposed to be able to take a risk on something you don't understand, but that most of us find it to be an acceptable risk because of the benefits that we have in return for that. And if, you know, if you've ever operated a car, if you've ever done any of these things, then you've taken a risk on something you don't understand, but most of us find that to be an acceptable risk. If you're a guy who has ever kissed a girl, you've definitely taken a risk on something you do not fully understand. Amen? But when you're kissing that girl, is your mind on psychology textbooks about how to understand the female psyche? It better not be. You better be paying attention to the moment, right? We take risks all the time on, on, on things that we don't fully understand. And it's good to have some understanding of those things at least. It's good to learn more about it as you go. But you don't have to understand everything about it to decide that the risk is acceptable. It's worth trying even though you don't understand. This story in John chapter 4 is a, is a story that rings very true to me in my experience in ministry, and we'll get into why that is in just a bit. But to set it up just a touch, uh, Jesus stops by Jacob's well. 
like the Jacob, the, the father of the nation of Israel, Jacob, bought this well. It was his well, and it's preserved. It's the same well. They're still using it when Jesus' time. And the crazy cool thing is about it, you can go over there to Israel right now, go up uh, in the West Bank to the city of Nablus, which is where, uh, which is where um, uh, Sychar, the, this, this Samaritan city, used to be. You can go to the city of Nablus and go into a Byzantine church. And as, as with most historical things in the Holy Land, they've built a church up over it. But the well is still there. You go down some steps, it's in the basement. There's the well. It's Jacob's well, the same well that Jacob maintained, the same well that Jesus sat on to talk to this lady. It's right there. That's crazy. Like, you can actually go to that well. Wow! You know? Um, and it's right there. And this is important. For, we'll get to why this is important in a second. It's right there at the foot of Mount Gerizim, which is a, a pretty good-sized hill, mountain, that uh, rises over this ancient city. Um, and it's right there at the foot of it. This church, if you walk outside and look up, Mount Gerizim is right there. Um, so anyway, Jesus stops by Jacob's well, and it's Samaritan territory at this time. And the Jews are kind of the outsiders here, even though they kind of claim this land because of their heritage from Jacob and his well. But the Samaritans are Jacob's descendants too, and at this time, this is their land. And again, an interesting parallel, now it's in the West Bank, and mostly this is governed by the Palestinian Authority. So even though the Jews claim a lot of inheritance there, it's, it's mostly claimed by the Palestinian Authority nowadays. Um, and this is their land. And so Jesus was traveling through this place as kind of an outsider. And he met a Samaritan woman there. And let's read the story starting at the first verse of John chapter 4. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. The story takes a weird turn here. Verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So, 
tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation does come through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah, or I who speak to you am he, is another way to translate that. Skip down to verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that He is indeed the Savior of the world. Have you? Uh, a lot of you have walked down this hallway over here where the cl- a lot of the classrooms are. And uh, on the walls in the hallway, there's a whole series of paintings by one artist. Um, and I had never heard of this artist before. The ladies decorated the church with this guy's paintings. But now, I'm a fan. I, I mean, after church, if you want, you can go look at them. They're not like, you know life-shattering, earth-shattering, you know, earth life-changing paintings, but they're, um, they're really good. Um, and this, this one I took a picture of, it's over there in the hall, is a depiction of this story of the woman coming to the well and Jesus sitting there. Um, and in the background, you can kind of see the, the sort of um, shadowy outline of Mount Gerizim rising up behind the well. And, uh, and this woman is coming to the well, and I love this painting because if you look very carefully at this woman's expression... I think the artist nailed it. This is a woman who has had five husbands and five broken marriages in a culture where one broken marriage was a desperately, horribly shameful thing. She's had five. And in a culture where living with a man who is not your husband is absolutely scandalously horrible, she's living with a man who is not in her who is not her husband. Okay? That's the setup. This is a woman who has been hurt, rejected, and broken many, many times over, probably many more than the five husbands that she's had. This is a woman who, when she sees a man, probably immediately thinks, what does this guy want? This is a woman who is coming to the well, sees a Jewish man, and I think the artist captured her expression exactly. Her uncertainty, sort of you can see that maybe she's inside trying to keep from heaving a big sigh of, oh great, thought I was just going to get my water and go. Now here's another dude who wants something. Okay? Obviously, my imagination is going into this a lot. The Bible doesn't spell all of that out. Okay? I could be wrong, but that's kind of what I'm picking up here. 
The verse I really want to focus on in this story is a verse that seems very out of place. And it's verse 19. Now in verses 16 through 18, Jesus got very, very personal. He told her to go get her husband. But his point was, five X's and a live-in. Right? Why did Jesus have to bring that up? Really awkward. Jesus didn't have much time with this woman. He's traveling through. This is all. This is it. This is all the time he has with her. And so he cut through all the social conventions and went straight to the point. He offered her living water. And at first, I think she was a little sarcastic about it. She, um, look at, look at how she reacted when he said he had living water. Verse 11, she says, But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where are you going to get living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? And Jesus says, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I think at this, at this point, this woman has been so hardened and so hurt so many times, I think at this point her response is totally sarcastic. There in verse 15 she says, Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to buy water. She's like, great, a crackpot. Right? She's like, okay, yeah, buddy, give me that water. That sounds fantastic. Then I don't have to come here and carry water anymore. And so Jesus cut through all of the distractions and all of the other issues and verse 16 said, Go and get your husband. And she's like, excuse me? And so she just, this guy's a stranger, never seen him before. I don't have a husband, she says. And he says, this shocking statement, you're right, you don't. You've had five and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. At that point, I think she starts to freak out. Verse 19, Sir, you must be a prophet. She's sitting there staring at him. Her eyes are wide. Her face is bright red. Her heart's beating hard and her ears feel hot. How did he know about her ex-husbands, about her live-in boyfriend? This is terribly awkward. This stranger knows her business. He's looking her in the eye though. And for a woman like this, a man who looks her in the eye is something a little bit strange and different. He's looking her in the eye. And he's looking at her with kindness. But how did he know? So she's desperate to get out of this horribly awkward moment. And so she looks around. She changes the subject. Okay, you must be a prophet. I see. So, maybe she looks around desperately hoping somebody will walk up and interrupt. Or she'll find an excuse to leave. But she hasn't even filled her water jar yet. So she looks up and sees Mount Gerizim right there behind him. Oh, hey, Mount Gerizim, here's a question. If you're a prophet, i got a question for you. Because here is a religious debate point that she can raise. This is a question about whether Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim is the right place to worship God. This has been a theological debate point for years and years between Jews and Samaritans. Maybe Jesus kind of smiles at her and he actually gives her a pretty good answer to her question. But something he said in his answer was, Dear woman. And maybe that caught her attention. 
And then he gently points out that she's dodging the point. Where you worship isn't the question. Understanding all the theological details isn't the point. Agreeing or disagreeing with other people's doctrine isn't the point. The Son of the living God was sitting there in front of her, offering her eternal life. And she wants to talk doctrinal disagreements. So Jesus told her God was looking for people who worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, with their whole being. Not just a rational, objective belief in truth, although that's essential. But it's not just emotional, spiritual mysticism, though emotions and spirit are also essential. God says, Jesus says God wants all of you. Your whole being. So she dodges the moment one more time. She knows the Messiah is coming. She's heard about that. The Savior. She doesn't want to talk about this anymore. She desperately wants to get away. So she dodges one more time and says, I know the Messiah is coming. Maybe we'll figure it all out then. And then Jesus looks her in the eye and she can't look away. And maybe He says softly and gently but unmistakably, I am the Messiah. I'm that one you're talking about. That's me. I'm here. Something snaps inside of her. He knows. He sees everything. The ex-husbands, all the heartbreak, the endless list of other men that she never even married, but who used her and hurt her and left her broken. The loser waiting for her at home right now. The bitterness she carries. The hardness that she's been forced to develop to bury as deep as possible the impossible, desperate, thirsting hope that someone somehow would finally love her. He sees it all. And He offers her living water, eternal life, love for far more than a lifetime. Finally, hope. She suddenly bent over, her fists clenched, her vision blurred. She realizes the deep, groaning, Heaving sobs that she's hearing are hers. She's weeping as she hasn't for years. No trace of dignity left. She's prostrate in the dust. Her her tears splashing muddy splotches and she can't stop them. And she cries deeply for a long time. And then it's gone. The bitterness, the weight of her life of rejection, of guilt, of hard, angry isolation, it's all gone. And there's a lightness where it used to be. She is a mess. Her clothes and her hair are going to need work. But she's clean. She looks at this Messiah, this Savior. He hasn't moved and He's still watching her with those eyes that see everything. And then He smiles and His eyes are wet as well. Oh, she says. And she jumps up. Oh, her water jar is still there by the well. Forget it. I'm telling everyone. I'm telling everyone and I don't care what they say. Everything is new and different and maybe God really does love us after all. You know, many of us don't understand everything about God or about the Bible. Many of us have questions, and it's fine to have questions. I welcome questions. I don't always know the answers. This week, two different people asked me questions that I didn't know the answers to about the Bible. But questions are great. Keep asking good questions and keep investigating truth. But if you don't understand everything about the Bible... I have an idea for you. Take a risk that maybe it's a good idea to obey the parts you do understand and wait for God to teach you the things you don't. We will never understand everything about God, right? If we could, He wouldn't be much of a God. It would be kind of disappointing. 
Like I said, the iPad is really good technology because you don't have to understand everything that's in it to use one. iPads are not God, okay? In this analogy, iPad is not God. Everybody okay with that, right? But take that concept and multiply it by infinity, and God is not much of a God if you can understand Him completely. I want to serve a God that I can't understand completely, right? There's a mystery and an unknowableness about God, but the Scripture says that He has also revealed the mystery hidden for ages through His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't understand everything about God, but through Jesus, we can know everything we need to know. You get that? We know everything we need to know. And so, definitely keep studying, keep learning, keep pursuing Him. Learn from His Word. Study hard. Learn as much as you can. But never use something you don't understand as an excuse to ignore Jesus. Never use a doctrinal issue as an excuse to keep you from having to deal with the really deep things in your heart that God wants you to surrender to Him. You know, there are people in this church who believe that once you're saved, once you come to Jesus, ask for forgiveness from your sins, once you're saved, you are always saved no matter what until Jesus takes you away, whether you die or He comes again. There are people who believe that. Then there are people who believe that after you're saved, it's possible to make a decision to turn and walk away from Jesus. That's a disagreement that people in this church have. And that's okay. Then there are those who kind of are somewhere in the middle where they say, okay, if you turn and walk away from Jesus, it must mean that you were never saved in the first place. That is a doctrinal issue that has been around basically since Jesus went back to heaven. People disagreeing over whether you're saved and then you're always saved till you get to heaven, or you're saved, but then if you turn away from Jesus, you can lose that salvation. That's a disagreement people have. People in this church are on both sides of that issue. But listen, when I brought that up, some of you started thinking about proving the other side wrong in that argument. Stop it! Come back and listen, okay? The fact that we disagree on that issue is okay. We don't have to get that one all figured out for us all to go to heaven together. Alright? Okay? So no matter which side of that issue you're on, stop thinking about the arguments to prove the other side wrong. Stop thinking about whether you're right or wrong about that. Is that your woman at the well question to keep from letting Jesus see what's deep inside you? He sees you. He knows. And He loves you. And you can pick your doctrinal issue or your theological question. Keep asking those questions. That's great. Investigate it. But never use that as an excuse to dodge the issue. Jesus is here. You realize that? He's here today. As if there were a well right down here and He's sitting on it and you're coming to get water. He's here. And you may not understand how it works, but He offers you living water, eternal life. And you need that desperately. Even if you don't understand how it works. Because without, of it, without it, we are all of us hopelessly, desperately lost. You know, one of the best examples I've seen of this recently was a video that went viral in the last few weeks of some people. And uh, it was all over YouTube and the Weather Channel picked it up and showed it a couple times. But there were some people that were on a tour boat uh, watching a pod of killer whales, orcas. And it's like a 25, 30 foot uh, boat, it looks like, with twin outboard motors. 
out there and they're watching this pod of whales. And while they're watching, and I, I was going to show you the video, but the video is horribly full of four-letter words. Because when this happens, these people were so shocked and surprised that in about a 48-second video, there's about 100 four-letter words, okay? So I'm warning you, you can go look this up on YouTube, but you might want to mute the sound if the kids are around, okay? Um, Because these guys definitely were very surprised on this boat, and uh, they let the world know it with their language. But, um, yeah, they're on this boat, and all you can see in the video is the back of the boat and the outboards, and, and suddenly there's a seal swimming as fast as he can to get away from the killer whales, and he launches himself right up on the back of the boat, right beside the motor, and this dude who's standing there was one of the most surprised guys, and uh, there's some extremely Canadian cussing that goes on for a, a good amount of time after the seal jumps up on the boat right by this guy's foot, okay? And the seal looks up at the guy, and you can tell the seal's scared of the guy, but he's more scared of what's in the water, right? And so the seal hops up on the back of the boat and go to the next picture. He kind of huddles down there by the outboards and he's like looking up at the people like, are you guys going to get me or what's going on here? But he doesn't want to get back in the water because he knows what's going to happen if he goes back in the water. He's going to be whale lunch, right? One of those orcas is going to get him. And you can watch the video and you can see these whales just circle the boat for like 10 minutes. They're just waiting. They're like, I know that seal's coming back sometime. And you can see, they're just looking at him. They're just like, one of them comes right up by that outboard motor and just looks at him. And this seal's just sitting there, huddled by this outboard motor. And after about, there's a longer version of the video that's about that, that's unedited, and you can see the whole thing. And after about 10, 15 minutes, uh, the whales finally turn, and they all kind of swim away. And, and the seal kind of looks out and sniffs, and he kind of sticks his head down and looks underwater to see if he sees any orcas left. And Finally, after the seals take off one direction, the seal after the whales take off one direction, the seal kind of looks around, makes sure there's none looking around, and he takes off the other direction as fast as he can go. And the seal gets away, he makes it. And the guys on the boat are like, Hey, good job, buddy, way to go. But that seal, that seal had absolutely no idea how a boat worked. He didn't personally know the people on the boat. He didn't know if they were seal hunters. He knew two things. One, he was about to be killer whale lunch. Two, the boat was not a killer whale. The boat might end up killing him, but he was sure going to give it a shot. He didn't know if that boat was going to end up being good for him, but he knew that the alternative was very bad. And the great thing is, Jesus does not ask you to trust Him without knowing whether He's good or not. He is good, and He loves you. You don't have to understand it all to launch yourself out of the water you're drowning in and grab onto Him for dear life. Stop looking at side issues. Stop changing the subject. You have sinned. We all have. You've got questions. We all do. Obey what you do understand. Now, some of you have that issue of looking at doctrinal issues and questions about God and all of that, and that's your distraction. There are others here today, and this especially happens if you are a Christian, if you've been saved, but but also if you haven't. The The second tendency that we have is to look at other people, compare our lives to them, and say, God, why? I don't understand what's going on with their life. I don't understand why they have it so much better than I do. Or, God, I don't understand why these church people 
are such bitter, hateful people and they gossip about me all the time. Or, God, I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. God, why? Why? And we look at other people's lives and we get all distracted by other people. That's our distraction that we use to avoid the real issue. John chapter 19, after Jesus rose from the grave, He met His disciples on the on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after they'd been out all night and they caught nothing when they were fishing all night. And He met them right as the sun was coming up and He told them to cast the net on the other side of the boat. He's just on shore and He yells that out to them. And all of a sudden they catch so many fish they can't even pull the net in. They've got to drag it to the shore, towing behind the boat. Um, and they meet Him on the beach where He's cooking breakfast. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And these guys come up after a night of fishing and eat breakfast with Jesus on the beach there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And after breakfast, Jesus talks to Peter. And Peter had denied Jesus three times right before Jesus was crucified. And Jesus takes this opportunity to restore Peter. He denied him three times. And in this conversation after breakfast there, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And I don't have time to dig into all the meanings and implications of that part of the story, although it's a great story. But Peter had been restored, and Jesus said, you know, Peter, I've got a job for you to do. You're going to be a part of my kingdom. And and Peter's got forgiveness and restoration, and now he's got a job to do, and and it's a clear commission that Jesus gives him. But immediately, Peter gets distracted by getting his eyes on other people. Because he says in, in John chapter 21, uh, well, at the end of verse 19, Jesus said, Jesus told him, follow me, talking to Peter. And Peter turned around, verse 20, saw, the, saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. This is John writing about himself. So Peter turns around, sees John sitting there. And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Verse 22, Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. And then John kind of explains here in verse 23, so the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So John, the writer of this book, is telling this part of the story because I think at this point he'd probably heard the rumors had gone around. People were saying, hey, John's not going to die. John's going to stay alive till Jesus comes back. And so John's like, okay, okay, I've got I to gotta straighten out this part. No, after Jesus' conversation with Peter, Peter just asked this question and Jesus said, Peter, don't worry about John. If I want him to stay alive, forget about that. You follow me. And so John's like, guys, calm down. I'm not like going to live till Jesus comes. I'm probably going to die. Get used to the idea. You know, so that's why John tells this part of the story. But I'm really glad he did because it's a really good example of when we get our eyes on other people. When Jesus is clearly calling us, but we get our eyes on other people and we say, God, what about them? And Jesus says, hey, Peter, listen. If I want him to stay alive till I return, what's that to you? You shut up and follow me. The Bible didn't say shut up, sorry. He says, Peter, don't, don't get your eyes on other people. You follow me. I believe God might be saying that to all of us this morning. He's saying, don't get your eyes on the distractions. Don't get your eyes on if you've been hurt even by people who said they were Christians, maybe even by people in this church. I hope it wasn't by me. If so, I'm very sorry. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you have questions. 
Maybe you don't understand why other people have it so much better than you, or conversely, why other people have it really bad when you think they're good people and they don't deserve that. Don't get your eyes on all those distractions. Jesus is here. And He's saying to you, follow Me. Come, follow Me. He sees you. He sees all of your mistakes, all of your sins, all the times you've screwed it up. And He still says to you, follow Me. You may not understand how it all works. You may not understand the life someone else has. You may not understand, but follow Jesus. Obey what you do understand. It will be worth it. Would you stand and let's bow our heads together. Let's just take a moment in silence here and maybe God wants to say something to you. And I want to challenge you to shut out distractions. Don't think about other things from the week, all this. Just listen to God. Maybe He wants to say something to you. Let's just take a moment here in silence together for for just a bit. Now, if you're here today and um, you recognize that you've been focusing too much on the distractions, maybe this is your chance to be restored. Maybe this is your chance to make the decision that you want to follow Jesus even if you don't understand it. If that's you today, would you just talk to Him from your heart right now and just say, Jesus, I don't understand it, but I want to follow You. And I don't know if God's calling some of you to do this, but maybe you need to come forward and just kneel here at the altar and spend some time here talking to Him so that you drive a definite stake in the ground saying, this is where I made the decision. I'm doing this thing. It's real. If you need to come forward and pray, if God's calling you to do that, you better get down here now. (laughs) Others of you maybe acknowledge that you've been distracted by things that don't matter. If that's you, Just talk to Him about it and say, Jesus, help me to just follow You. Maybe you've had your eyes on other people. People who have hurt you. People who seem to have it so much more together than you do. Or people that just frustrate you because of how messed up they are. Whatever it is. If you've got your eyes on other people, that's a distraction too. Maybe you just need to say, Jesus, just help me to follow You. Get my eyes off other people and help me to turn my eyes on Jesus. That song we sang earlier said. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody who came today. And I pray that we wouldn't leave this place and just forget about what your Spirit may be saying to us here. God, would you help us to surrender ourselves completely to you? Not not being distracted by things that we don't understand. Not being distracted by the way other people are or whatever. God, help us to focus on Jesus calling us to follow him. Help us to respond to that. Just say yes to You. God, go with us through this week and help us to be different because of Your Word today. Thank You. In Your name we pray. Amen. Thank You for coming today. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. 
Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.